Chapter Six of the Conquest. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phyllis Vincelli. The Conquest by Oscar Michaud. Chapter Six. And where is Oristown, the town on the Missouri? It came a few days later in a restaurant in Council Bluffs, Iowa, when I heard the waiters, one white man and the other colored, saying, I'm going to Oristown. And where is Oristown? I inquired, taking a stool and scrutinizing the bill of fare. Oristown, the white man spoke up drawing away at a pipe which gave him the appearance of being anything from a rover to a freight brakeman. It's about 250 miles northwest of here, in southern South Dakota, on the edge of the Little Crow Reservation, to be open this summer. This is not the right name, but the name of an Indian chief living near where this is written. Oristown is the present terminus of the C and R W Rye, and he went on to tell me that the land in part was valuable, while some portions were no better than western Nebraska. A part of the reservation was to be open to settlement by lottery that summer, and the registration was to take place in July. It was now April. And the registration is to come off at Orristown, I finished for him with a question. Yes he assented. At Omaha the following day, I chanced to meet two surveyors who had been sent out to the reservation from Washington, D.C., and who told me to write to the Department of the Interior for information regarding the opening, the lay of the land, quality of the soil, rainfall, etc. I did as they suggested, and the pamphlets received stated that the land to be opened was a deep black loam with clay subsoil, and the rainfall in this section averaged twenty-eight inches the last five years. I knew that Iowa had about thirty inches, and most of the time was too wet, so concluded here at last was the place to go. This suited me better than any of the states or projects I had previously looked into. Besides, I knew more about the mode of farming employed in that section of the country, it being somewhat similar to that in southern Illinois. On the morning of July 5th, at U.P. Transfer, Iowa, I took a train over the C.P. and St. L., which carried me to a certain town on the Missouri in South Dakota. I did not go to Oristown to register as I had intended, but went to the town referred to, which had been designated as a registration point also. I was told by people who were hitting in the same direction and for the same purpose that Oristown was crowded and lawless, with no place to sleep, and was overrun with tin-horn gamblers. It would be much better to go to the larger town on the Missouri, where better hotel accommodation and other conveniences could be had. So I bought a ticket to Johnstown, where I arrived late in the afternoon of the same day. There was a large crowd which soon found its way to the main street, where numerous booths and offices were set up, 
with a notary in each to accept applications for the drawing. This consisted of taking oath that one was a citizen of the United States, 21 years of age or over. The head of a family, a widow, or any woman upon whom fell the support of a family was also accepted. No person, however, owning over 160 acres of land, or who had ever had a homestead before, could apply. The application was then enclosed in an envelope and directed to the superintendent of the opening. After all the applications had been taken, they were thoroughly mixed and shuffled together. Then a blindfolded child was directed to draw one from the pile, which became number one in the opening. The lucky person whose oath was contained in such envelope was given the choice of all the land thrown open for settlement. Then another envelope was drawn, and that person was given the second choice, and so on until they were all drawn. This system was an out-and-out -out lottery, but gave each and every applicant an equal chance to draw a claim, but guaranteed none. Years before, land openings were conducted in a different manner. The applicants were held back of a line until a signal was given, and then a general rush was made for the locations and settlement rights on the land. This worked fairly well at first, but there grew to be more applicants than land, and two or more persons often located on the same piece of land, and this brought about expensive litigation and annoying disputes and sometimes even murder over the settlement. This was finally abolished in favor of the lottery system, which was at least safer and more profitable to the railroads that were fortunate enough to have a line to one or more of the registration points. At Johnstown, People from every part of the United States, of all ages and descriptions, gathered in crowded masses, the greater part of them being from Illinois, Iowa, Missouri, Minnesota, North Dakota, Kansas, and Nebraska. When I started for the registration, I was under the impression that only a few people would register, probably four or five thousand as there were 2,400 homesteads, I had no other thought than I would draw and later file on a quarter section. Imagine my consternation when, at the end of the first day, the registration numbered 10,000. A colored farmer in Kansas had asked me to keep him posted in regard to the opening. He also thought of coming up and registering when he had completed his harvest. When the throngs of people began pouring in from the three railroads into Johnstown, and there were two other points of registration besides, I saw my chances of drawing a claim dwindling from one to two to one to ten, fifteen and twenty and maybe more. After three days in Johnstown, I wrote my friend and told him I believed there would be fully 30,000 people apply for the 2,400 claims. The fifth day, I wrote there would be 50,000. After a week, I wrote there would be 75,000 register, that it was useless to expect to draw, and I was leaving for Kansas to visit my parents. When the registration was over, I read in a Kansas City paper that 107,000 persons had registered, making the chance of drawing 
1 to 44. Received a card soon after from the superintendent of the opening, which read that my number was 6,504, and as the number of claims was approximately 2,400, my number was too high to be reached before the land should all be taken. I think it was the same day I lost $55 out of my pocket. This, combined with my disappointment and not drawing a piece of land, gave me a grouch, and I lit out for the Louisiana Purchase Exposition at St. Louis with the intention of again getting into the pea service for a time. Oft-times, porters who had been discharged went to another city, changed their names, furnished a different set of references, and got back to work for the same company. Now, if they happened to be on a car that took them into the district from which they were discharged, and before the same officials, who, of course, recognized them, they were promptly reported and again discharged. I pondered over the situation and came to the conclusion that I would not attempt such deception, but avoid being sent back to the Chicago Western District. I was at a greater disadvantage than Johnson, Smith, Jackson, or a number of other common names by having the odd French name that had always to be spelled slowly to a conductor or anyone else who had occasion to know me. Out of curiosity, I had once looked in a Chicago directory. Of some two million names, there were just two others with the same name. But on the other hand, it was much easier to avoid the Chicago Western District, or at least Mr. Miltsow's office, and by keeping my own name, assume that I had never been discharged, than it was to go into a half a dozen other districts with a new name and avoid being recognized. Arriving at this decision, I approached the St. Louis office, presented my references, which had been furnished by other M. businessmen, and was accepted. After I had been sent out with a porter, who had been running three months to show me how to run a car, I was immediately put to work. I learned in two trips, according to the report my tutor handed to the chief clerk, and by chance fell into one of the best runs to New York on one of the limited trains during the fair. There was not much knocking down on this run, but the tips, including the salary, were good for $300 a month. I ran on this from September 1st to October 4th and saved $300. I had not given up getting a Dakota homestead, for while I was there during the summer, I learned if I did not draw a number, I could buy a relinquishment. This relates to the purchasing of a relinquishment. An entry man has the right at any time to relinquish back to the United States all his right title, and interest to, and in the land covered by his filing. The land is then open to entry. A claim holder who has filed on a quarter of land will have plenty of opportunity to relinquish his claim for a cash consideration so that another party may get a filing on it. This is called buying or selling a relinquishment. The amount of the consideration varies with quality of the land, and the eagerness of the buyer or seller, as the case may be. Relinquishments are the largest stock in trade of all the real estate dealers in a new country, 
besides everybody from the bank president down to the humble dishwasher in the hotel or the chore boy in the livery the ministers not omitted would with guarded secrecy confide in you of some choice relinquishment that could be had at a very low figure compared with what it was really worth End of chapter 6